And uh, what I want to do through this series is uh, offer you a song as we begin uh, that would be a rock and roll song. And we all grew up uh, listening to rock and roll and uh, love songs and all that. But so oftentimes the songs that we listen to, uh, we listen to them because of the music, because of the beat, and we don't even even have a clue uh, to what the words are. So I want to give you a little insight um, in, into these words. And the uh, song this morning, um, Will You Still Love Me Tomorrow? This is a great song. Uh, every uh, noted uh, recording artist seems to have recorded this. But, of course, Carly Simon uh, and James Taylor have made it famous um, in many ways. And that's the version that I'm going to play for you this morning. Um, I want you to look at the words to this before we um, uh, listen to the music. Tonight, your mind completely, you give your love so sweetly. Tonight, the light of love is in your eyes, but will you love me tomorrow? Um, this song expresses a longing, a fragile uh, tenderness that exists uh, in every human heart. The song, uh, whether the singer knows it or not, is searching for God. G.K. Chesterton said, every man who walks into a brothel is looking for God. Now, he doesn't know that consciously. If you're the bouncer at the door, don't ask him, hey, dude, I know you're looking for God, because then he thinks you're really crazy. But he's looking for love in all the wrong places. At first glance, that may not be what you see. In fact, at first glance, you could assume that this song is either about a couple growing serious in their affection for one another and about to make love out of wedlock, we assume, or it could be about a one-night stand. But the woman in this song is about to give herself to her lover, opening her body to his revealing her inmost self. And in a moment frozen in time, she stops to question him. She is suspended in time while he stands before her, oblivious to the torrent of her heart within. Clueless man, longing woman. Does that sound familiar? She looks to her lover to question him, but no answer comes, but the question remains only in her heart. It's not the answer that's important for the moment, but the fact that she grapples with the question, will you love me tomorrow? I want you to listen to this song. May it open your heart to what God has for us this morning as we begin our series, God, Sex, and Rock and Roll. May you hear the voice of God. Is in your 
this everlasting For just a moment, Be on the alert, stand firm in your faith, act like men, be strong. Words from 1 Corinthians 16, 13. God, sex, and rock and roll. Follow with me um, as we read the um, introduction. In order to be a godly man, you need to know how you were made and how you can't do that without talking about sexuality. And that thought will inevitably lead you to who made you. 
Therefore, the journey of knowing yourself as a man leads to talking about God and sex. They are connected. They can't be separated. This study will not be so much a moral journey as it will be, will, will be about connection, the connection you have with God and each other and how that connection can suffer damage when you have little understanding about the divine nature of your body and the true power of sexuality. This series will challenge you to connect with God and your own sexuality in a journey toward wholeness. You will be challenged to ask hard questions about God, sex, and yourself. You'll need some good music for such a journey, some good rock and roll. Turn on the music, and let's rock. Guys, I... Um, I am deeply um, uh, troubled by the sexualization of our culture. Um, we've been doing, uh, starting in August, we will be at Men's Roundtable at C Spire for 11 years. I appreciate uh, Mr. Jimmy and Hugh and all of those at C Spire that have allowed us to be here for 11 years. Hard to believe. and. Since we started, uh, most every summer, I have tried to do something, if you've noticed, paid attention, uh, on relationship, marriage, um, the woman, because it's such a critical issue for us as men. In no way do I apologize for that. I'm not trying, well, I guess I am kind of trying to be redundant, not, not so much redundant, but I'm certainly trying to instill in all of us as men a less objectification of women, a sexualized view of women, and a true godly, wow, whoa, man, as Adam responded when he saw Eve in the garden, a woman. So my prayer, my hope is as we go through this series, that we will have a, a higher respect for the women in our lives, for the wives um, that put up with us, for the daughters that we need to be guiding, for the granddaughters that we need to be guiding, and for the men in our lives, grandsons and uh, sons and brothers that need a good, healthy view of sex. We don't talk enough about it. When was the last time in your church that you heard about it? Um, guys, I hear about it in my counseling office every day. Not a good healthy view, but the just the aftermath of the wake of craziness that happens. I have had few men come into my office and weep deeply, but the ones who have have done it 99% of the time because of sexual brokenness and sexual failure. Because the Bible is very clear that sexual sin affects us in a way that no other sin does. It, it, I mean, it's just there. I'm going to read it to you here in just a few minutes. Um, I, I'm working with this song from a, um, a blog out of Christianity uh, today. So I'm just, I'm just reading what somebody else wrote much better than I could write. I want you to look at the words again and just continue with this song. 
And the writer says this, what the gal in the song is looking for, what we are all looking for is not love that is illusory, uh, nor a love that only seeks its own pleasure. But that is not love at all. For, for that is not love at all. She seeks a love that lasts, a love that has no bounds. She wants a love that is everlasting. The woman in the song is playing at a dangerous game of trust, and she knows how dangerous it is, yet she can't do anything but trust anyway. Man, if these young girls really knew us, they would run. Would they not? Because we don't think about it the same way they do. They are truly looking for relationship, most of them. That ain't what we're looking for, is it? She needs to trust. She needs to succumb to love outside of herself. She needs to fall, hoping that her lover will catch her, though she knows that he may fail her. Why then must she fall anyway? Why do we all run headlong into the abyss, seeking after something that in this life seems never to fulfill but always to disappoint? It is because we are made that way. We are created with one goal in mind, love. God, who is love itself, created us with the sole intention that we might be one in love with him for all eternity. But God does not force this love upon us. We must choose him who loves us so much that he gave himself up for us, yet we still allow, but still allows us the freedom to love him in return. I want you to turn over to Psalm 63. It's there on the back of your notes. Psalm 63 this is what we're longing for. As the woman in the song asks, will you still love me tomorrow? She could have easily um, remembered this passage. And if she had, she might have got up and left the room. Psalm 63, God, you're my God. I can't get enough of you. I've worked up such hunger and thirst for God, traveling across dry and weary deserts. Now, guys, keep in mind, underline that part. I've worked up a hunger and thirst for God. Your appetite, my appetite, is very telling. How do we satisfy that appetite? We hunger for love. How do we satisfy that appetite? The psalmist says that his appetite is satisfied in God. So here I am in the place of worship, eyes open, drinking in your strength and glory. In your generous love, I am really living at last. Underline that. I'm really living at last. Finally, I've stopped whoring around, as Jeremiah chapter 2 says. In your generous love, I am really living at last. My lips brim praises like fountains. I bless you every time I take a breath. My arms wave like banners of praise to you. I eat my fill of prime rib and gravy. Yes, it's good to be back to the message. 
I smack my lips. It's time to shout praises. If I'm sleepless at midnight, I spend the hours in grateful reflection because you've always stood up for me. I'm free to run and play. I hold on to you for dear life, and you hold me steady as a post. For those who are out to get me are marked for doom, marked for death, bound for hell. Guys, I um, love that passage, and I love it out of the message. And by the way, the reason I'm going back to the message is because this topic um, is so um, real in our culture. I want to read the passages out of a language that we use every day. I believe Eugene Peterson's done that. I want you to continue, as I've always said, read your study Bible and have your message. The message helps you to understand uh, the passage in, in just a real-life way. But I want you to continue to read out of your study Bible. Search the Scriptures, especially to see if what I'm giving you is accurate. But this longing for love leads us to crazy places. Today's session is about the playing field. So I want you to uh, turn over your notes there on that blank section, and I want you to blow, uh, draw the playing field with me. So we're going to draw um, an imaginary football field. <clears throat> and if I had time, I would draw the, the Tennessee checkerboard um, uh, end zone. I don't have time to do that. <laughs> Um, everybody's good with that. Um, but here, here's what we're all looking for. We're all looking, uh, to score pun intended. <laughs> um, love touchdown. Got it. And yet what we've got to deal with on some level is God. And my goodness, you know, at some point, we discover it, sex. Eight years old, 10 years old, 12 years old, 14 years old. Where were you? But guys, this is not going to make sense through this whole study if what's in the middle of the field, painted in big, bold letters, is not in play. Because apart from holiness, this whole topic just becomes a moral journey. And morality uh, is like the law. Morality says, stop it. Don't do it. And the Bible's very clear. When you get that kind of uh, feedback from your sin, you're only going to sin more. And God had a redemptive plan all along, gives... Um, Moses, those two stone tablets, the law and sin increased. And legalists grabbed hold of it, and legalists and religious leaders used it against the people. And God said, There's something that's going to happen here up ahead. The covenantal promise is I'm going to bring a new way to worship me. 
and it'll be through the name of Jesus, and I'll put a soft heart in you, and when I put that soft heart in you, you'll no longer even need someone to teach you. You'll know me intimately and personally. This is not a moral exercise. It is a relational exercise of intimacy. That is the gospel, that you are alienated from your true love. And the only provision from that which alienates you, which is your sin, is the provision that God has made through his son, Jesus. And when you put your faith in Jesus, look to the cross. Look to the serpent as Moses did when people were dying. And he put, God told him, just put a serpent up there. And if people will look to the, to the bronze serpent, they will be healed. And it was a preview of coming attractions of that which was really going to bring redemption on the cross. And his name is Jesus. And when we look to the cross and we believe, we repent from our sins and we believe, at that point, our sins are forgiven and the reality of eternal life is signed over to us. Wow. That's what we want. We don't want sex. We want love, but we'll settle for sex. You to pick up your pen. I want you to go to work with me. I've got three questions for you. <clears throat> Where did you initially learn about God? Where did you initially learn about God? Now, some of you grew up like I did. I grew up in a little country church in East Tennessee. I mean, I was in church uh, Sunday morning, Sunday night, and Wednesday night growing up. As a kid, I can't remember ever not being in church. Some of you grew up like that. Others of you, you know, Easter and Christmas, maybe. Right, Ron? Maybe, you know. And others of you, maybe just started going to church. But where did you first learn about God? May have been your grandmother. May have been your grandfather. Now, part B of that question where did you learn about sex? Now think about that for a minute. I want you to think about that. Most of us as parents, we're really concerned when we start to get responsible, we need to start going to church. I mean, I've heard that over and over, as, as you have, and maybe that was your experience. You know, we, we didn't go when, you know, when Susie and I were first married, you know, we, we didn't go. And then we had three babies, and we think, you know, we probably ought to get our butts in church because they need to learn about God. But then you think about it, where did you learn about sex? You know where I learned about sex? When I was 12 years old at a Boy Scout camp out, and the 13s and the 14-year-olds were teaching the 12-year-olds about sex. Now, dude, that was twisted. That was twisted. Uh, and, they, and they were telling me things. I had no idea what they meant, but it piqued my curiosity, and I wanted to find out. But I had no resources. My sweet daddy, uh, I remember uh, some sermon in our church on Sunday night where the pastor was talking about, you know, you need to tell your kids about sex and have the birds and the bees talk. And I'm sitting there, you know, drawing airplanes and stick figures and, you know, doing the thing that a 10-year-old or 12-year-old does in church on a Sunday night, you know. 
And, uh, I, but I could kind of, I was listening out of one ear and, and, you know, I kind of knew what the pastor was saying. So, so my daddy comes home from church. Um, I'm glad my dad doesn't listen to the podcast. So <laughs> if, pa- if Papa gets a hold of this, I'm in trouble. But, uh, so, so my dad, he comes home and I, and, and, uh, very nervous. He's Phil, come in here. It's like, Oh, and it's just, just very abrupt. Phil, come in here. And he, and he has this booklet and, and he says, uh, I want you to read this booklet. Um, and I'll come back and we'll talk about it. So he throws it on the bed, literally on my, on my bed. And I'm, I'm reading this booklet. There's all these diagrams. I could, I could read the print, but the diagrams, I couldn't figure out if they're right side up or wrong side down. You know, they made no sense to me. So I'm sitting on the bed. I've, I read the whole booklet, and I sit, I'm sitting on the bed and sitting on the bed and sitting on the bed and sitting on the bed, and Papa never came back in there. That, that was my sex talk. That was it. <laughs> I, think, I think Papa had got cold feet. You know, as part of my motivation um, is that I want to equip you to share with the young men in your life, again, your sons, your grandsons, whomever, um, about the birds and the bees. I want you to give them a godly perspective. I'm going to try to equip you as best I know how to this. I don't want, I don't want your sons and your daughters learning about sex at Boy Scout camp or Girl Scout camp or in a fraternity house or a sorority house and all that. Second question, how has your view of sexuality caused pain to you and others? Man, you know, we just finished the series on the 12 steps. Step uh, eight and nine is making amends to those that you've hurt. My goodness. What would it look like if we all sat down with the girls or the guys that our twisted view of sexuality have harmed and hurt and we made amends? It would be a long line for many of us. certainly be a, a long line for me. I have areas in my life that to this day I, I'm ashamed of, and I've struggled to uh, continue to believe that Jesus has forgiven me. I know he has intellectually, but I still feel the shame of how my view of sex harmed others and harmed myself. I'd acknowledge those people, even yourself. Third question. How is your view of your physical body a reflection of your love of God? How is your view of your physical body a reflection of your love of God? If we talked about what kind of physical shape you're in, would it be a report, a discussion that would bring honor to God? Guys, uh, sexuality is a lot about believing that your body is sacred. Again, as I said, this whole series is not going to make sense unless you and I get a handle on the sacredness and the set-apartness that we are in Christ, holiness. We don't believe in holiness anymore. 
Holiness is something that that weird denomination, that holiness denomination does. Uh Uh-uh. Holiness is what the Bible calls us to, that we are to be different, that we are to be set apart. Um, Ransom Heart Ministries, which is John Elder's ministry, posted this yesterday in their blog. If you want to turn your children off to Jesus, ignore holiness or choose the technical rule-keeping imposter. Be a jerk and then insist the family pray at mealtimes. Let them see you lie to your boss or your aging parents and then insist you all go to church. Want to turn your neighbors off to Christianity? Let them see you yell something nasty at your dog and then head off all dressed up for Sunday morning service. It is the lack of holiness that has clouded our witness in this world. And then this last sentence, listen to this. Thank God the opposite holds true as well. The beauty of the lies of God's true friends is the sweetest and most winsome argument for Jesus there could ever be. The scripture says that when we walk into a room as believers, that there's a fragrance of Christ. Do people smell Jesus with you? Or do they smell the stench of hypocrisy? Holiness is what drives us. Here's what we're fighting. Sexualization. Just as there is a playing field for God and sex within the boundaries that he's set for us, not to inhibit us and not to prohibit us, but to allow us to play the game in a healthy way. I mean, the reason we all love football so much is because there's boundaries on the playing field. We know where the 50-yard line is, and we know where the 30-yard line is. We know where out-of-bounds is, and we know when somebody crosses the goal line that they score. What would it look like one Saturday you dial into your favorite SEC game and there's no lines on the field? And everybody's just running around doing what they want to do. You know what that's called? Sec- <laughs> what a country. What a country. I love the USA. Soccer. That's what that's called. Oh, yeah. To all our European, South American, African buddies, we love football. American football. Secularization is to make something sexual in character or quality or to become aware of sexuality, especially in relation to men and women. Secularization is linked to sexual objectification. What secularization really means is that we make that which is intended to reflect the beauty of God, a woman, 
sexual urges, we objectify it and we take, we make it impersonal, depersonal, and it's just an object. Secularization occurs when individuals are regarded as sex objects and evaluated in terms of their physical characteristics and sexiness. Young men standing in the hallway at their locker, evaluating young girls walking down the hall. It seems innocent. We've all done it. That's my daughter. That's my daughter. It's your daughter. It's not funny when it's your daughter. The secularization of girls in media and the ways women are betrayed in the dominant culture are detrimental to the development of young girls as they are developing their identities and understanding themselves as sexual beings. Reports have found that secularization of younger children is becoming increasingly more common in advertisements. Research has linked secularization of young girls to negative consequences for girls in society as a whole, finding that the viewing of sexually objectifying material can contribute to body dissatisfaction, eating disorders, low self-esteem, depression, and depressive affect. It ruins you. It ruins you. I want to show you this brief clip. It's just a, just a minute. And it's a counselor named Barbara, and she just talks about um, the importance of playing within the boundaries that God has given us relative to sex. Listen to this. Couples that I work or meet with who are planning to get married and they're having sex, the first thing I tell them is that they need to stop having sex. And the reason is because they've created this false sense of intimacy and often well, not often, always, sex outside of marriage clouds the relationship. You don't actually get to see that person for who they really are because your whole relationship and intimacy and even communication is based on sexual intimacy, not on true emotional intimacy. And so when you stop having sex outside of a marriage and you're able to get to that highest level of intimacy, that is how you get to know if this is the right person for you to marry. You get to talk about the things that you need to talk about before you get married. And then once you get married and you start having sexual intimacy, that only builds on the emotional intimacy that you've already laid as a foundation for your marriage. Mm. Guys, how, how many of us heard that? How many of us tell that to our children, to our grandchildren, to our sons and our daughters? Well, it, I believe we make a big mistake when we just try to make sex a moral issue. Well, you shouldn't do that. That's wrong or that's bad. No, don't do that. It is great. Sex is fantastic. It is a God-given thing that is beautiful. But God wants us to implement sex within the boundaries of the playing field. Because when we don't and we try to play out here, we ruin ourselves and others. It's not so much a wrong thing as it is a life-destroying thing. That's how we need to talk about it. I want you to be everything that God designed you to be. Gentlemen, we need to have a healthy view of sexuality. 
want you to turn over to 1 Corinthians chapter 6. First Corinthians chapter six. I'm going to start with verse nine. Jeff's got it. Verse 12 up here. So we'll catch up to verse 12, starting with verse nine. Don't you realize that this is not the way to live? Unjust people who don't care about God will not be joining in his kingdom. Those who use and abuse each other, use and abuse sex, use and abuse the earth and everything in it. Don't qualify as citizens in God's kingdom. A number of you know from experience what I'm talking about. For not so long ago, you were on that list. Since then, you've been cleaned up and given a fresh start by Jesus, our Master, our Messiah, and by our God present in us, the Spirit. Now, he's building a case. It's like, you guys are different. Don't keep doing what the world does, what the culture does. You've been set apart, and he's calling those Corinthians and us to holiness. The only way that this study, this topic really makes sense is if we get anchored in how important it is that we be different, that we be holy. We're different. We all want to be chosen. Growing up, you know, you always want to be on the team. I want to be on the good team. Oh, man. I'm on the bad team. You know, we hadn't won a game in three years, that sort of thing. Well, we all want to be on the good team. Well, if you want to be chosen, then you've got to act out that role. You've got to be on that team. If you want to be an Alabama Crimson Tide and act like an Alabama player, I'm sure that Nick Saban talks about that a lot. He sets them apart, and they are. They're they're the gold standard of college football. We're set apart. We're holy. Then verse 12, just because something is technically legal, in your study Bible it says profitable, doesn't mean that it's spiritually appropriate. Just because you can don't mean that you should. I mean, I can eat. Krispy Kreme donuts all day. But that ain't going to be, that ain't going to be good. There's nothing wrong in and of itself with Krispy Kreme donuts. But eventually, I'm going to pay the price for that. If I went around doing whatever I thought I could get by with, I'd be a slave to my whims. Slave to my whims. Sexual brokenness. You know the old saying, first you eat to live and then you live to eat. Well, it may be true that the body is only a temporary thing, but that's no excuse for stuffing your body with food or indulging it with sex. Now, guys, one of the things about the worldview of being a God follower, a Jesus follower, a Christian in the truest biblical sense is that we have a high view of the physical body. When we start breaking down the view of the physical body, you know where that eventually leads to? It leads to the the diminishing and devaluing of the very resurrection of Jesus. Years ago, when I was first on staff with Campus Crusade for Christ, 
uh, I was at SMU. The first assignment, I, I left the University of Tennessee. I was on staff with Campus Crusade working with college students. And I got to set in on a number of classes at Perkins Seminary, which was the um, seminary on the campus at SMU. And I'm sitting in this class. I, I mean, I had been a believer myself for about two, two years at that point. And this seminary professor is talking about the resurrection of Jesus was not physical. It was just spiritual. Holy baloney. Now, I didn't have, I hardly had enough understanding myself of the gospel at that point to be alarmed, but I got it. That's heresy. Because if Jesus didn't rise from the dead physically, then all that we believe about the sacrifice that he made is nothing more than a spiritual Goldilocks fairy tale. And guys, it, it roots back into the, the respect and the view and a holy view right here of your physical body. When you act out sexually, you are degrading the temple of God. It would be like you would go into a physical temple and get rocks and just start throwing and breaking out all the windows and spray painting the walls and all that. That's what it looks like to your physical body when you act out of bounds sexually. Since the master honors you with a body, honor him with your body. How do you honor him with your body? Lose the extra 20 pounds that you need to lose. Quit eating donuts and quit having sex outside the bounds that he's made. God honored the master's body. See, all so much, so much emphasis on the physical body. By raising him from the grave, he'll treat yours with the same resurrection power. Until that time, remember that your bodies are created with the same dignity as the master's body. Now listen to this. This is critical. I'm in verse 15. You wouldn't take the master's body off to a whorehouse, would you? I should hope not. Now, the, now in the Greek, the Greek word there where whorehouse is used here in the message is pornea. It's where we get our word pornography. It actually means harlot, that we give ourselves to whores. We're whoring around because we don't have any respect for our body. That's what he's saying, pornography. Oh, no harm in that. I'm not hurting anybody. I've actually had guys tell me, well, you know, I, I, I wasn't doing too well with my wife, and I thought, well, the easiest thing to do is just do pornography. I wasn't hurting anybody. I wasn't hurting her. Dude. Doing pornography is like eating three dozen donuts and then somebody serves you the best Shapley steak that they can and you're looking at Shapley steak and you're thinking, I just ate three dozen donuts. I don't even want to, I don't even want to look at the steak. There's more to sex than mere skin on skin. Man, this is critical. Our culture is eaten up with it. There's more to sex than skin on skin. Sex is as much spiritual mystery as physical fact. I don't understand why it's so impactful, but I've seen the destruction of it. 
as written in Scripture, the two become one. Since we want to become spiritually one with the Master, we must not pursue the kind of sex that avoids commitment and intimacy, leaving us more lonely than ever, the kind of sex that can never become one, or I would just add, satisfy. Guys, it's not a moral issue. Don't teach your kids that it's just a moral issue. Don't do that because they will do that if you do that. No, it's something much more intimate. I want you to have intimacy. I want you to have close connection. See, when you have sex, there is a bonding that takes place. It's like you are Velcroed to that person. Don't underestimate the power of it. And the beauty of it within the bounds of marriage is that it Velcros you to the one that you love. It's intended to do that. But if it Velcros you and Velcros you and Velcros you and Velcros you, and if we could walk around looking at how many we're Velcroed to, dude, it would be scary. We would look like some sort of bag lady with all of her wares Velcroed to her body. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. Underline it, star it. Right there in the scripture. There is a sense in which sexual sins are different from all others. It's why we suffer so much when we act out sexually. It's worse. In sexual sin, we violate the sacredness of our bodies, these bodies that were made for God-given and God-modeled love, for becoming one with another. Or didn't you realize that your body is a sacred place? There's that holiness. Your body is a, it's, it's the temple, the place of the Holy Spirit. Don't you see that you can't live however you please, squandering what God paid such a high price for? The physical body of you is not some piece of property belonging to the spiritual part of you. God owns the whole works. So let people see God in you and through your body. How do you value your body? Sweetheart, Audrey, Abigail, do you value who you are? If you value who you are, then I don't have to talk about the moral issue of sex, you'll take care of that. But when you devalue and you don't feel loved and you've been looking for love, you're going to start looking for love in all the wrong places. And we live in a sexualized culture that kind of teaches us, do you have a girlfriend? I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm five years old, and I've got aunts asking me, you got a girlfriend? You got a girlfriend? Okay, I guess I got I to gotta, gotta get a girlfriend. Dude, that was stupid. I'm five years old, and then by six years old, I'm missing the bus because I'm kissing Susie Diamond in the gym. I missed the bus. Game on. Game on, right? Guys, I'm excited about this series. Even this morning, I've got more material here than we could go through, get through till noon. But we've got several weeks uh, to work through this. What I've got is I've got a bag of books here that uh, are marriage books, and every chapter or every book has one chapter on sex. And I'm going to go through each one of these books week by week, and we're going to tease this out. Um, but I want you 
to finish this summer with the high view of God that you are called to holiness. Guys, this is serious. Our culture doesn't seem to think so, but I believe it is. I look forward to our time together on Thursday. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you so much for how you protect us, how you really do put us between the lines to allow us to fully enjoy the game of life and the game of intimacy that you've given us. Help us to understand that in a way that brings honor to you and healing and safety to us and those that we love. Thank you for our time this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.